Ron's Podcast presents Collectibles by Ron Harrison Sunhawk Schaefer. a tree. He loved green things. His house was surrounded by a sumptuous garden. Even his name was Branch, Marvin Branch. He had always been interested in plants ever since he was a little kid. As a boy, he would stop off after baseball practice, Little League, which he was never really good at, to examine the foliage of bushes that hung over the sidewalks and alleyways on the way home. He saw the bees and the flies buzzing in and out of the petals and the buds that hung off the vines and stalks. The other boys would be annoyed by his departure, running around to see where Marvin was now. They'd call to him, and maybe he'd hear them on the first go-around. Maybe he wouldn't. The boys would wait, far up ahead, pained expressions of impatience on their faces. Marvin! Maybe on the third or fourth try, they'd get him while leaning on baseball bats, hands on hips, twirling fielder's gloves in the air. Marvin might finally respond and run to catch up. You should see what the rhododendrons are doing, he'd exclaim as he rejoined them. The others would just sigh and move on, as if they cared about the rhododendrons, as if they actually knew what a rhododendron was. Not only was he lousy at baseball, but he talked to the stupid plants. Quite frankly, in their eyes, Marvin was a little creepy, but he seemed oblivious to their stares of consternation and their overheard jokes and criticism. He was an innocent, totally in love with his plants. And then there was this rumor that when he was born, the afterbirth came out looking like a seed pod and the umbilical cord, looking more like a leafy green vine of some odd sort than whatever it was supposed to look like. Rumor had it that the doctor and the medical staff who helped in the delivery were the ones who started the tale, and after that, the doctor himself swore his staff to secrecy. At any rate, no one talked about it much after Marvin's birth, and it soon could be attributed to one of those urban legends you hear about. Or maybe it was something made up due to Marvin's peculiar and somewhat asocial behavior. Marvin's mother never admitted it, if she even knew about the story at all. As he grew older, he developed a love for biology and did a lot of extra assignments in his high school class. It was one of the things that got him in good with girls during those teen years. It also didn't hurt that he was a rather good-looking boy as well, 
however nerdy his behavior might be. He would do other students' biology homework for them whenever they were stuck. This eventually ended up being a kind of business, as he would trade goods and services for other people's homework. At first it came as an offer, if you do my homework, I'll do your paper out on Thursday. It wouldn't take very long before he had everybody in the class working for him in one capacity or other, from mowing lawns to sweeping out garages to filling in for him at band practice. Music was something he was not good at despite his mother's encouragement. But it was the girls who saw potential in Marvin, Marvin's homework capabilities. Soon other boys became jealous, but there was nothing to be jealous about. Marvin seemed to have no interest in girls, something the girls became acutely aware of. Still, every new semester brought new possibilities. It was the school principal who put it all together and took disciplinary action. Report after report came in from Marvin's various teachers. Too many students were getting A's, especially in biology, and all with conveniently similar answers, even on essays. Marvin was smart enough to vary things from page to page, student to student, but even the best of criminal types leave behind enough traces to end up in jail, or in this case, the principal's office. And so Mom and Dad and Marvin were there, looking at a stern, lowering principal. Soon Marvin was back to mowing his own lawns, taking out his own garbage, and being his own partner in biology lab. Actually, Dad was proud of his ingenious and enterprising son, but felt his energy needed a more socially acceptable outlet, so he built Marvin his own greenhouse in the backyard. Marvin gave up baseball and band and basically moved into the greenhouse, filling it with all sorts of exotic plants from jungles halfway across the world. He began his own program of crossbreeding types of corn and other grains. Best of all, he began to plant trees. He started them from seedlings, grew them to healthy pot-sized stubs, then wondered what to do with them. It was a mere mental hop from tree sprout to birthday gift. He started giving away trees to people for birthdays, for Christmas, for anniversaries, for no reason at all. He found bare spots on empty lots and put trees there. He added trees to the local park, behind the bleachers of the baseball diamond. He even put them along the river after a storm and subsequent flood knocked a few of those old wooden monuments of pre-development days to the ground. People found him on the shoreline sobbing after all that tree crashing happened. Somebody had to take him home. They listened to him bellow that his oldest friends were gone. They weren't actually sure what he was talking about, but the assumption that they could make was a little too weird for them to stomach. This is where Germain entered the picture. Marvin lived in a city of about 50,000. Big enough not to be a town, but small enough to still be considered sort of rural. And what better place for a tree fanatic than in the heart of American Midwest's greenery nestled between farms and fields in all directions. This meant that the city shared a school district with most of the rest of the county. As such, high school can expose one to people from all over, including those not only outside your neighborhood, but outside your community. One such person was Jermaine. Jermaine did what every other girl in her class did. She asked Marvin for help with her biology homework. What was different about Jermaine was that she was willing to accept Marvin for all his insulated weirdness. Jermaine was pleasantly attractive, but no beauty. 
she could overcome her alleged plainness with just some modest touch-ups when she felt inclined. However, she seldom felt inclined. Jermaine's biggest problem was low self-worth. She was never popular and never considered herself pretty enough to make it in the big leagues like the cheerleading squad. This attitude was probably due to a slight lisping sound she made when she spoke as a result of an overbite her parents were too poor to provide orthodontal care to correct. She was actually smart and personable enough, but hid it under a poor me facade. In a sense, she was another Marvin, just without Marvin's outlying obsession. Perhaps Germaine's obsession was herself. Germaine struck up a much more permanent friendship with Marvin, a boy who didn't have many permanent friends. Even though she lived out of town, she was willing to bike in from her home and spend an entire Saturday or Sunday afternoon watching Marvin putter in his greenhouse, even helping him scrape seeds, pollinate flowers, or shift about bags of fertilizer, whatever Marvin ordered her to do. She would talk, and Marvin would say, uh-huh, and it didn't bother her if Marvin actually paid little attention to what she was saying. But the surge in female hormones in a young buddy can affect even the most timid. It was inevitable that someday one of those adolescent admirers of Marvin's would play out her hand. It happened to be Germaine. It was a Sunday afternoon. The two of them were engaged in pollinating corn, the result of which Marvin was writing down in a book he was intending to publish. Marvin was not shy about his belief in his horticultural skills. Germaine got the idea in her head of, why not pollinate each other? She stared at him for a while, watching him fuss with his plants. Then she just came out and said, let's kish. Marvin looked up at her as if she just had said, let's build a zeppelin. Why, he asked after first receiving a confirmation of what she had asked. Because it would be interesting, she reasoned out. It's biology. Don't you like biology? Yes, but she didn't give Marvin time to finish his thought. She just grabbed him and planted one on him, no pun intended. Marvin was not only surprised by the action, he was surprised to find out he liked it. It was kind of like sticking your face against a wet sponge, but for some reason it was exciting. After that, Marvin and Jermaine spent a lot of time kissing in the greenhouse, and so they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And then there came graduation. It came the same year, senior year, as the year Marvin won all those prizes, first in the school fair and later the state science fair. Marvin filled tables with hybrid corn, wheat, sorghum, dwarf plum trees and apple trees, and so on. One table was filled with nothing but compost. Marvin had discovered a new way to make compost and wanted to show everybody. The fact that it smelled to high heaven didn't deter somebody from giving him a blue ribbon. At graduation, the principal reminded everyone, as Marvin stepped up to receive his diploma, of Marvin's biological accomplishments. And the other girls were reminded of Jermaine's biological accomplishments in having snatched away the dorky but handsome future bioengineer. And dorkiness can be overcome with a big paycheck, which Marvin seemed destined to obtain. This fact alone perhaps won Jermaine the esteem she had been craving throughout her high school career, and no one noticed her lisp anymore. Marvin would spend his next few years at a community agricultural college. He stayed at home, 
He fully believed in the words of his father had always told him, and that was, to be fully stable as a person, one has to establish roots. For Daddy Branch, and for young Marvin, that meant staying home. Dad had made enough money in the packing business to buy a nice house with a nice big yard in a nice semi-urban, semi-rural community, and once planted, stayed put, never going anywhere. Marvin, who came to be the only child, perhaps due to those ugly rumors about his birth, shared father's lack of wanderlust and only pursued an education that took him to a school within a morning's commute and no further. The rest of the time he stayed in his garden and his greenhouse and let Jermaine come to him, which she did. Having found the ways and means to drive a car to Marvin's house, she spent as much time there as anywhere, helping him on his projects whenever he saw fit. Now, one would think that someone as bright as Marvin wouldn't find easy and lucrative access into a professional field to his liking. And he did get his offers as college graduation approached, but that was when the change began to happen. By this time, Jermaine, though more confident than ever, had given up her search for a prospective mate, or rather, find an alternative source for her youthful hormones. As far as she was concerned, Marvin was it. There was a certain immovable comfort zone buried in her as well, which is no doubt why she and Marvin got along so well. They both believed in planting roots. In Germaine's case, her roots were buried in Marvin, and she was not about to pull them from that plot. Marvin never did become more sociable, despite his advance into higher education. In fact, he got nerdier, more obsessive about his plants. No one knew, would, or could enter his life, and only those embedded into his existence could possibly tolerate the self-absorbed, brilliant nitwit he had become. So Jermaine and Marvin got married. While Marvin was smart enough to know how pollination occurs in all species, including humans, it remained for Jermaine to show him how humans occupy their time with it. And while Marvin was a dutiful lover, he remained distant as the whole procedure unfolded. It was not out of any displeasure in Germain, whom he loved dearly in his own peculiar fashion, nor any distaste for the act of procreating itself that might have kept him a bit aloof. It had more to do with the fact that he was not engaged in the same way as he was with crossbreeding grain. Germain found a solution in placing as many green plants in their bedroom as possible, which seemed to encourage her husband to greater heights. She even covered herself in foliage and asked him to find the flower. They lived in a small apartment away from home, and that probably had a lot to do with Marvin's distraction. He still spent most of his free time in his greenhouse and his garden, but often found it difficult to sleep at night, since he was no longer in his old lodgings. Two things happened, one on top of the other. Father died, a sudden heart attack, and Jermaine found herself pregnant. Mother offered the newlyweds a place to stay in the old home, which Marvin immediately jumped at and the baby was born in that house, a girl. Why have a baby any place else but home, was Marvin's argument. Not a fashionable concept in the day, but one both the new mom and the new grandmom were willing to concede to. And while there was nothing unusual about this baby's birth, no weird rumors, there was something unusual taking place about Marvin. His hair was turning green. College graduation over, and a promising career in front of him, the future was bright, yet the family grew worried over Marvin's green hair. So before he started 
work to bring in that prize income everyone expected of him, he went off to a clinic to see about neutralizing those green hair follicles. The doctors were stumped. Nobody knew what to do about a guy with green hair. After a few days, Marvin returned home with a handful of antibiotics and regulations for a new diet. The branches followed the diet dutifully, and Marvin got greener and weirder. Germaine was the first to notice it, as might be expected. For once, the baby was quiet. For once, Marvin was not distracted by his plants. For once, Germaine could interest him in a bout of lovemaking in the middle of the night. But Germaine herself stopped it with a scream. She found little sprout-like leaves extracting themselves from pores in Marvin's skin and peeling their way off of his body hair. Back to the doctor. This time it was a specialist somebody imported for the clinic. The specialist went, hmm. Then he went, huh. Then he said, let's take some x-rays. Then they took x-rays. Then the specialist examined the photos on a big electrically lit screen. Then the specialist said, hmm. Then he squinted and rubbed his eyeglasses and looked closer. Then he said, huh. Specialists are known for reticence. Well, doctor, Jermaine nervously inquired. My dear boy, the specialist began in addressing Marvin, you have a plant growing inside of you. What kind of plant? Marvin said with interest. Never mind what kind, Jermaine snapped. What's it doing there? I don't know, the specialist responded. It's not supposed to be there. By all accounts, a plant cannot live inside a human being unless that human being is dead. You're not dead, are you, Mr. Branch? No, Marvin said, certain of his liveliness. How do we get it out of him? Jermaine returned. I assume we want it out. Oh, yes, indeed, the specialist said. It's not doing any good being there. I suppose we could give you something that will help dissolve it, like any other parasite, tapeworms, for example. And if that doesn't succeed, Germain questioned, operates of the specialist, hopefully in time. So Marvin was put on an even stricter diet and had to take yucky medicine twice a day, besides the occasional shot in the butt, which specialists prescribe for everything. And Marvin got greener. So they were forced to operate. It was no good starting up that new promising job in that new promising career. Marvin couldn't show up green and not scare away his co-workers. So Marvin sat in the house all day, his skin now turning green, and leafy appendages were growing out of his head, and Marvin was becoming more and more morose. I'm becoming a plant, he'd say somberly, sitting in his favorite chair. Germaine would wrap her arm around him, snipping off a frayed leaf or two in an attempt to keep him neat. Pulling on the stems or the fresh green leaves apparently was painful, but the older twigs and leaves were okay to pinch off just to keep up appearances. So then came the 10-hour operation. They removed the root cause, so to speak, of his affliction. Marvin spent a month in bed recuperating, and Marvin got greener. Marvin never left the house. Neither mother nor Jermaine left the house except for necessities. And they never spoke of Marvin to anyone lest more rumors like the birth one get started. If anyone asked, they said Marvin was out of town at his new important job somewhere and doing well. Specialists, however, came to visit, and they scratched their heads and puzzled and puzzled. Marvin sat motionless in his chair like a big bush with a face in the middle of it, and the specialist went home writing notes in their notebooks 
and discussing what they would print in the medical journals and whose name would come first. The little girl crawled around Daddy, occasionally playing with branches, branches. Marvin just sat there and looked sad, for he no longer was able to engage with his child, his wife, or his family. He was also losing his voice. He seldom moved. His feet began sprouting roots, so he could no longer wear slippers. Mother died, perhaps of a guilty conscience and a broken heart. Germaine went alone to the funeral amidst the talk of the town. Late at night, Germaine, with the help of some medical students, carried in Marvin to the funeral parlor at Germaine's special request. Marvin sat and stared at his mother. Some of his leaves began to shed. Then he was carried back home, and Mother was buried. The house and its gardens were now theirs. Marvin's last request, his last vocal response, was that he be placed out in the backyard near his greenhouse. Within a year, all traces of Marvin slipped away. Where he was placed was now the site of a beautiful growing tree. Visiting neighbors would come by wishing Germaine and her girl well. They would comment on the beautiful tree in the backyard. Was that one of Marvin's latest experiments? It was always so lush and full, and it had many different types of leaves, oak, maple, willow. Through the years, it even bore fruit, plums and apples, peaches and grapes. That Marvin was a horticultural genius. What kind of a tree did he say that was? An excuse was made that Marvin met with an accident out of town, leaving Jermaine a widow. Their daughter grew to school age, and all the kids used to come by and play by the great exotic tree, tugging at its flowers, pulling off its juicy fruits, climbing its limbs. Then came the summer of the storm. Daughter Lucilla was out playing in the garden when the storm hit. Actually, she had been investigating the haunts of her barely remembered father. She had studied the insides of the greenhouse, now left in a state of decay and disrepair. When she was very little, Germaine had forbidden Lucilla to step inside the greenhouse, but as Lucinda got older and the greenhouse fell into ruin, the lock eventually fell off, or rusted off, of its own accord, and Lucilla, one summer afternoon, found herself exploring its insides. Lucilla always felt a kind of presence when she was playing in the backyard, but it never frightened her, not like some ghost. But she grew up with a sense that someone was watching over her, sometimes when it was windy, she even felt as if she heard someone calling Lucilla through the leaves. She always wrote it off to her imagination. But that day in the greenhouse was the day she wanted answers about her father. Who was he? Where did he go? Will he ever come back? Her mother had mumbled things that sounded like excuses, but those answers never satisfied her. Finally, she found the lock on the greenhouse open and she began snooping around. Mother had thrown out all the plants that used to inhabit the place. It was now just a containment for empty pots and tools and piles of unused supplies. Then the storm hit. Lucilla had been so preoccupied with her investigation, she never even noticed what was going on outside. She thought she even heard voices inside. Perhaps it was the storm brewing and whistling through the cracks. And the storm did come up suddenly. Boom! and there was lightning and thunder and rain, and the greenhouse door blew open. Lucilla ran out just as a power cable snapped off a telephone pole, and at that same instant one of the biggest limbs of the exotic tree came crashing to the ground, but not before its tangle of branches caught the cable, knocking it back out into the street. Lucilla had tripped when all this exploding of limbs happened. 
It seems a fog cloud just touched down near the yard before springing up again. No other funnels were reported that day. You're lucky, little lady, said the repairman, surveying the damage. If that tree limb hadn't come down at the right moment, that cable, hell, that whole telephone pole, had to come right down on top of you where you was. The exotic tree was nearly split in half and so partially destroyed, but Germain always considered that day the day of miracles, even more so than Lucilla did. But Germain never mentioned anything more than that, and never did explain to her daughter about the tree. Time and new activities made Lucilla forget all about the tree and the greenhouse in the backyard. In the end, Marvin's daughter went off to junior college and married an aviator. She couldn't remember her father. Germaine stayed at home and did laundry and domestic chores for money. She never remarried, and she never did get that overbite list fixed. Germaine outlived her one and only husband by nearly 50 years. At her request, she was buried next to the big exotic tree in the backyard, what remained of it, for however shabby looking, it continued to live and even prosper. Lucilla came back to see her mother put to rest. She raised two girls of her own, Marvin's granddaughters, and they decided to live in the same old big house she was raised in, in the old familiar town in the old familiar neighborhood, a quiet, friendly place where they could play in the backyard on the big exotic tree that grew there and never ceased to yield its many fruits, a place where a vine grew up out of their grandmother's grave to wrap around the big tree and yield fragrant-smelling blossoms of its own exotic variety, a place where they could have the best tree house in the county. Sometimes it's good to lay down roots. You have been listening to Collectibles by Ron Harrison Sunhawk Schaefer, as presented on Ron's podcast, as read by Ron Harrison Sunhawk Schaefer. Thank mm-hmm. you.